human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, I'm joined by Bob Colhan, the founder and CEO of Business Improv and the author of Getting to Yes And. Utilizing decades of training and experience on the greatest improv stages in the U.S., Bob's corporate training and development offerings bring the flexibility, generosity, and listening skills of improv into his virtual and asynchronous programs for businesses of all types and sizes. Plus, his genuine warmth and enthusiasm are a treat. We chat about the psychology of safe spaces, the pillars of reacting, adapting, and communicating, and how making everyone else look good on stage and off leads to happier, more productive workers and teams. He says, everything becomes an offer. Everything becomes a gift. Please enjoy episode 18, Kinetic Connections with Bob Callahan. Well, I am so excited to welcome to the What's Betwixt Us podcast, Bob Callahan, who is an expert improviser, as well as the founder and CEO of Business Improv and the author of the book, Getting to Yes And. Uh, and <laughs> Bob is, has this great, big, amazing, infectious smile on his face at his standing desk, moving around, <laughs> doing a little dance. Um, yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Let's thank you. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to, to chat with you. Yeah, I feel like you are so well equipped to talk about the subject of empathy at work because you do this cool thing where you straddle the worlds of art and business, which usually have pretty separate, separate bubbles in the Venn diagram. So do you want to explain a little bit about your business, uh, business improv and uh, sort of how it came about? Sure. So business improv, 21 years ago, that's, that's how it started coming about in the wow. late 1990, 1999 specifically. Uh, I was an improvisational actor in Chicago, cut my teeth in the same area that you were for a while, and uh, had the opportunity to create the first improv program in any business school in the entire world that focused solely on linking improvisation to business. And that was at the Duke University Fuqua School of Business. And from there, that program just blew up that was like I, all the students who took it loved it and everybody who didn't take it wanted to take it and so that turned into my company business improv and cut to 21 years later uh just in october of this year we created to our knowledge anyway the first improv program anywhere in the entire world that was for credit just like the duke fuqua one was what? that is 100 virtual so 20 years after we created the first program in any business school we created the first virtual improv program at any business school. And we link improvisation to business through the behavioral sciences. So we study behavioral psychology and cognitive psychology and social psychology and org theory and even you know further reaching ones like behavioral economics to study how and why we make decisions in real time and then link that to what improvisation is, which is focus, concentration, presence, engagement, listening, collaboration, communication, and so the bridge to empathy is going to be an easy one for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, all these, all these amazing, legitimate, scientific words just came pouring out of your mouth, which I imagine is a way that you're able to get in the door of some places that otherwise might not see the empathy connection. So like, once you get into these, once you, once you are hired at these businesses, can you take us through what a, like, what a, what a session might look like? Well, the sessions depend, really. The, the makeup of a session depends on what the clients want. So some clients don't even want anything related directly to empathy. They just really want basic communication. Mm-hmm. Yet what they're missing is in basic communication comes empathy. It's connection. It's engagement. And so that's the opportunity then to create some high energy, up on your feet experiential learning, which is what improvisation inherently is. You know, in improvisation at its core is a communication and collaboration based art form. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right? The output is creativity, or if you were to put it in a cooking show, the output would be creating a meal. Or if you take that communication and collaboration of improvisation and put it in uh, a first responder setting, you're watching it take place. Or in business, you're watching it take place as well. Mm -hmm. Now, if you really start unpacking that, though, on how we're setting up these environments to communicate and collaborate, you're really talking about creating psychologically safe spaces. And once again, now you're, you're rooting it over to empathy. So when we get the opportunity to work with these great businesses and great business people, as we work a a lot on -on one-on-one leadership coaching as well, we're teaching them how to actually use these business improv techniques for personal and professional development for themselves, as well as other people. And then in doing so, creating that psychologically safe space where we can have candid conversations, where we can talk openly and honestly with each other, even at odds with each other. And that type of honesty as well links to empathy, right? So, you know, the basic programs that we can do for companies allow us to really create some very rich roots that will allow the rest of the the team, the people, and the culture to blossom on its own. I love that. I love the idea of, of roots of like putting these super um, basic but but vital communication you know structures in place that then can be built on that can be used for anything. And I, and I have to say myself coming from you know I went to school in Chicago for theater, but I didn't do improv while I was out there. I took everything so seriously. I wanted to be a Shakespeare actor. I had a huge stick up my butt. Uh, but it was it was like you know, five years after that, when I started doing improv in New York, it was so terrifying at first because of this loss of control. And I think we associate a loss of control with unprofessionalism, right? With like being a mess, not not being put together, not being taken seriously, but the, op- the opposite effect was true, was that once I really moved through that fear and shook that off, I was so much better in the room with people. I was so much better at all of the work that I did. It just kind of bled into it. So I wonder, were you always, were you always a person who felt like this about improv or did you have a personal transformation early on? Like what was your, what was your moment of falling in love with the art form? Oh, in high school, instead of having a real talent for the talent shows, what I asked to do with a a friend is take that blank space in between when like the pom-pom routine would go up and then the curtain would come down and then the the teacher band would set up or the jazz band would set up. And so there'd be this like five minutes of just us, the audience just looking at a curtain, Mm -hmm. nothing happened. I was like, can I take that space and just do something? They're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. Just go out there and do whatever it takes to make people laugh. So uh, friends of, of mine, uh, a buddy named Andy Cutright in particular, he and I would come out there with like a light premise and then just goof off on stage. And it wasn't until college I learned it was improv. And when I was 19, I went up to Chicago and studied under the person who would become ultimately my mentor, a man named Martin DeMont, who's credited for creating the Second City Training Center. Mm-hmm. And that summer was when I was like, oh, this is what I, I'm supposed to do this is blood. This is, this is, this is the easiest thing in the world. And that not to say improv is the easiest because it's not, I think it's incredibly uh, hard, challenging. At the same time, it was an easy decision for me to understand like, oh, this, this is what it feels like when you get to do the thing that you're supposed to do on this earth. So I would say at 19 is when I came to that understanding of what I need to do with my life. Okay. Although it sounds like earlier, you still had the, the kahane oh, yeah. to do it because I mean, taking that, even taking that space in the talent show, the interstitial space and saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's something uh, is terrifying to most people. So it does, you're definitely born to do it. Were you a class clown? Yeah. Well, all right. So I'll go to a Billy Crystal quote. I wasn't a class clown as much as I was a class comedian. Okay. <laughs> that, uh, I was a good student. I, I made the honor roll a whole bunch and I was a good athlete as well. And um, it was more sharpshooting the comedy moments than just like doing anything it took to make people laugh. You know, get up on stage. That was where it was like, Yo, yeah, I want to do whatever it takes to make people laugh. In a classroom though, it's like, I don't want to get kicked out of class every time I say something. So you got to, you know, you got to hit the target when it's time. <laughs> and you know what though? I, I think you're right that it, the desire to do this is inherent in some people, not everybody. 
The ability to do it, though, is inherent in everyone, because you mentioned something earlier about that loss of control. And there's two things. One, once you figure out how to give up control, you end up getting a lot of control. Mm -hmm. And that's really that space where people need to be as any type of actor, whether it's an improvisational actor or a dramatic actor, uh, Shakespearean actor, you know, whatever it is, it's, if you're really going to embody the character, you've got to give up. You've really just got to take that whole thing on and let that character become part of you. And that's the same with the props and the set and the other people as well. You know, you really just have to live in that moment. And that's really improv as well. It just manifests itself in a different way. The second part to that loss of control is everybody is losing control right now. (laughs) for the last eight months like if if people don't understand that these are techniques to help embrace that then they're missing an opportunity to help themselves right now and that's super important because it's not a cure-all this is not some panacea or magic bullet that's going to fix the mess that we're in right now it is a set of tools and techniques so that can help yeah well because it's it's something about flexibility right like in the wind a blade of grass will bend but like a piece of glass will break so I think that that sort of loosening up even though it seems counterintuitive you know because you feel like oh gosh everything's under control I better tighten down and bore through it and figure it out or like maybe that's just me neurotic Jew from New York but you know it was so so the best part about improv to to me was how I surprised myself. It was a surprise element. And there's so much delight in that. There's so much unexpected stuff to be mined in it. And, and I guess this is like why I'm super excited to talk to you about what you do, because you go into these spaces and uh, granted, I am not a corporate person. And so corporate spaces are intimidating to me, but you go into these spaces where people can tend to disconnect from the body entirely, right? They are, they, they don't have time to deal with the body. They are, or the body is irrelevant. And I'm, I'm really interested to hear about your experience watching people like relax into it in that moment yeah. or transform over the course of a session. Yeah. So a lot of, most people, I would say, don't understand that this is a skill set that we one all always use. We always use the skill set around improvisation and specifically business improv because the way that we define improv in business improv is different than how it's defined theatrically or comedically, and it needs to be because it's a different audience. Sure. So to be clear, how we define it, it's on three core competencies, which is reacting, adapting, and communicating. Mm-hmm. Reacting, adapting, communicating. So if you really think about it, when aren't you reacting, adapting, and needing to communicate? Mm-hmm. You know, it's very rare that we are truly solely isolated, even in this environment in which we're forced into types of isolation. There's always people that we can reach out to or even should reach out to. And that's super important because in any environment, whether it's going to be on site or virtual with each other, you're going to have people who in that moment of panic, fight, flight, freeze, right? One of those three things is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that to me is that that freezing is like, let's buckle down. Let's just wait for this to get over with. Right. And this could be this pandemic and it also could be an improv workshop right because to your point before going in you can watch i would say of any improv workshop a third of the people when you force let's say 90 people to be there a third want to be there a third are on the fence and a third do not want to be there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. specifically because it's improv it's something related to improv even though it's if you're never going to get on stage you're not going to perform you're not going to be isolated to say something funny right away the the mind goes to the what the worst places Mm -hmm. and so to watch those people understand that it's really just about reacting and adapting and then communicating which is what we inherently do anyway it's a skill set we all possess then they relax into it. Now it's just a matter of sharpening their authentic ability to do those three things. And that's when people really like give up. And that's when you see the most curmudgeony people or the most scared people, most introverted people, analytically people, analytically minded people start to open up and have fun and relax. And then, you know, once that happens, it becomes authentic to them. And once it's authentic, the personality comes out and everybody's got some personality. And so there's where you see like, 
people get surprised by other people like I I've known this person for five years this person's never said something positive in his life or has never contributed in her life and next thing you know they're the ones cracking up the room just by talking that's it not trying to be don't try to be funny just be here be with us and share with us and you know taking off that type of pressure can just go a long way in understanding that we're doing this anyway let's just get better at doing it Oh yeah, I I love that. And it's so true. I mean, I, I was speaking to an actor recently on this podcast and we were talking about improv and how the classes that I had where there were folks who were who were not performers, those were the people who were just like the most joyful to watch open up, you know, because they're not trying to entertain. They yeah. just exist in such an authentic way. So I think that's beautiful. Like giving these victory moments to people who weren't expecting to have them, who never expected to have them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, teaching people who want to get on main stage Second City or want to get on Saturday Night Live or on the Colbert Report or Mad TV back back in the day, <laughs> uh, that's different. That's very different than teaching people who are just there to learn. Yeah. And that's, there's really where you see a lot of great transformation in a shorter period of time. And that's awesome. Yeah, the best, the best. So, so okay. So we're so once it's once the communication groundwork has been laid, I would love to talk about more about empathy more specifically and what that means to you as an improviser, because I feel like everyone who has done improv has been on stage with people who are who are steamrollers who are who are not there to be emotionally vulnerable, right? They're just there to get their peace in. So can you talk a little bit about like what, what empathetic improv looks like to you? Oh, well, there's two ways that I'm interpreting this. One as a performer, well, they're both as a performer. So I'll do the shorter one first. An empathetic improviser, I think, is really the closest bridge to an improvisational actor somebody who can really embody the moment. They're not emoting. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just present. They're living in that moment. They're playing that moment out and they're able to connect with other people because great improvisation, you know, specifically Chicago as a, I'm a Chicago trained improviser is rooted in relationship. Mm-hmm. And those relationships always have some kind of, I mean, even if it looks like it's, it's two dimensional, it should have depth to it. It should have connection to it. And there's empathy then that needs to take place because then you're truly trying to understand somebody else on her or his own terms, right? And that's that's a, a that's one way to look at that. The other way though is that really when you're present and focusing on making somebody else look good. So this is classic Chicago, uh, right? <laughs> don't, uh, I learned this early on from a coach of mine, famous, I don't wanna drop the name, famous person, everybody knows her. Yes. Don't be funny, don't be clever, don't be creative. Be present, be in the moment at a high level and make everybody else look good. And that last part there, if you're really focusing on making everybody else look good, listen, if I'm focused on making you look good and you're focusing on making me look good, we're focusing on making everybody else look good, then what happens is it's not your idea or my idea or anybody else's idea, it's our idea. And that's the idea that the team is more important than any one of us. The show is more important than any one of us. And what we understand is that the collective consciousness of all of us is going to be so much better and smarter and more flexible than any one of us at any given time. And you can't be a selfish improviser if you're really focusing outward on making somebody else look good. You know, so that steamroll though still could exist and the ball hog still could exist. It's at least challenged by the fact that you're always looking out, trying to make sure that you're supporting somebody else, making sure that somebody else has that opportunity to step forward and shine. And, or as I heard in one of your recent podcasts, when those mistakes get made, you celebrate those mistakes. And that doesn't mean you celebrate them like, hey, this was a horrible, that was, you just you just walked right through the table I set up, my, my invisible table. That's not what we're talking about. You're ex- by that, you're accepting it and moving on and saying like, we're all gonna make mistakes, especially in a creative, uh, collaborative type of environment. Let's create that safe environment that the mistakes are okay. And when they do happen, we accept it and move past it right away as opposed to get burdened down by it. And so I think that's all rooted in empathy. 
Absolutely. I mean, what you're talking about, what, what really came up to me is generosity, right? It's, it's a spirit of generosity. Uh, making everyone else look good will naturally make you look good. It does remind me of, of acting training that I've had where we were, we were constantly told, it was Meisner training, of course, mm-hmm. which is like very improv based, where you put your attention on the other person and you're constantly reminded, put your attention on the other, make them the most important person in the room, which is also counterintuitive because we're so used to looking out for number one, you know, protecting ourselves. Right. Actors and actresses, actors, and just general people up on stage, narcissists. Yeah. Look at me. Look at me. So yeah, absolutely. It's counterintuitive to be like, look at her or look at him. And by doing so, I know you're going to come to me. You have to be super. And this goes back to what we were talking about before. That's giving up control. Right. And by giving up that control, you get that control. You'll get that audience's focus by being a very supportive player. And then when it's your time to step into the the spotlight, it's the audience is already there with you. Exactly. And this thing about celebrating the mistakes is so real. I can't tell you how many improv sets I've watched where somebody, you know, mispronounced a word or, or, or flubbed something. And that ended up becoming, like, if you look at it generously, that ended up becoming the shining jewel that was called back many times in the show. And if, if that person hadn't made that quote unquote mistake, then all of that beautiful laughter wouldn't have followed. Right. So, yeah, my, it reminds me of uh, one of my, my elementary school art teachers. I don't, uh, I don't remember her name, which I feel terrible about, but she would talk- I do, about- it's, it's Miss Johnson. Miss Johnson, thank you. Yes, exactly. You're, thank you, Ms. Johnson. You're welcome. Miss uh, <laughs> Johnson would say, you know, if you were coloring in a coloring book and you were missing spaces, like there would be white spaces that didn't get colored in, she would call them holidays. And and I love that. <laughs> That's so sweet. I know. It's like the color gets a time off. It's like, ah, oh, you exactly. know, red's been red's been busy and blue's been busy. Let's just let's just give them a break. A little a little breath, a little vacation. Um, what a beautiful celebration. And then it just, it's like the purpose is then, and the purpose of making everybody else look good is if you make somebody else feel positive and feel okay about themselves, that is contagious. Mm -hmm. And if you make somebody else feel crappy about themselves, that is also contagious. Yes. So it's really about what energy you intend to put in the space. Oh, absolutely. In any environment, that energy is contagious. And I'll also transcend environment because a lot of people will right away think like, oh, on site, you know, behind the state, this, the curtains before the show or after the show, like everybody could be like, that was great. And one person like, that was horrible. And everyone's like, well, what the fuck is that all about? Come on, man. Jeez. Jeez. Like, let's just ignore him and let's, let's go to the bar. Uh, that also, though, can goes directly to this medium. You know, uh, both phone and uh, uh, social media, like Zoom, for example, you know, what you bring to that energy wise is contagious and you can lift people up or you can suffocate them. And I think a lot of people are missing the fact that that's that's a choice. And that doesn't mean, you know, achieving a positive attitude or, or, or higher energy, better energy, more, more forward thinking energy is always possible in this reality because it's not in this reality. This is really hard what's going on right now. That does not dismiss the fact that you can try. You can try to bring a positive energy. You can try to bring upbeat energy. You know, you can try to bring uh, a more forward thinking outlook to any situation. And in doing so, you could inspire the people around you to do the same exact thing. And then energy begets energy, right? And it turns into contagion. It turns just, it would just start feeding off of each other. And that ends up moving on its own. And then you don't have to work at it. Then it, that, that's momentum. Then it's your job just to like roll with the tide. Exactly. 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 I, 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 wish, I wish that this wasn't uh, just an audio podcast because you're doing all these great things with your hands. <laughs> object work. <laughs> object, exactly. Object work. Coffee, so, anyone? <laughs> oh, I do miss being on stage so much. Oh, yeah. God, this, I've been uh, 26 years. This is the longest I've been off stage in 26 years. Like I, it's, it's before that it was like a month. Otherwise, especially in the grind days of Chicago, yeah. 95 to, oh, well, I would say 2005. However, I was there until 2009. It was, it was eight days a week. 
you know, we were creating nights of the week. We were creating, uh, you know, jam, the jam and the cage match. I was on the, the first team of the cage match, which is a pretty popular thing in improv. You know, it's, it's like, ah, it's I'm missing a chunk of my, my, my soul. We'll get there though. We'll get back. We will. Well, I, what I, what I think is going to happen is that everybody right now, everybody's energy is building up sort of like, a. uh, it, we're going to be like bullets out of a gun. As soon as, as soon as we are allowed to be out in public, I think there's going to be a huge Renaissance movement. It might just be wishful thinking, but. I, I, I hope you're correct. And I hope that that Renaissance movement takes place civically, you know, <laughs> culturally yes. uh, beyond, you know, art does imitate life and life imitates art and they inspire each other. And hopefully that will move us toward this place of empathy. Yeah, well, I do, I do think, and I want to know what your take on this is because you've had your finger on the pulse of the business world. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen either over the course of this pandemic or just in the past couple of years, more of a, more of an openness toward concepts of empathy, more of a movement toward, you know, EQ, emotional intelligence, things yeah. like that? Yes, in some organizations, definitely. <clears throat> Emotional intelligence, um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, all of that. They're also buzzwords though. Yeah. You know, I've heard you say this before. Empathy is a big buzzword. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah, I want empathy, I want empathy. And then you don't lead by example. You do nothing about it. The, there's always an excuse why you can't do something about it. And I'm, I'm not only talking about junior level positions, I'm talking about leaders. You know, leaders are like, oh yeah, diversity, equity, inclusion. Those are the buzzwords of the day. That's super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, empathy is super important right now. Great. What are you doing about it? Nothing. Yeah. No, no, no. I, it's just important. Okay. How important is it? It's super important. What are you doing about it? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So how important is it? You know, it just turns into this like loop of like, all right, so it's not really important, or it's just important for like two hours on Zoom. Let's it's just do it for two. For, it's important for what it looks like to the outside world. It could be, it could be. And this is not, I have to qualify very sure. heavily. We're not talking about all organizations. There are some that are like right on point. Mm -hmm. And touch wood, we've had the opportunity to work with a, a good handful of them in the last eight months. We're like, yeah what's happening should not be happening. And we really want to be at the forefront of showing, leading by example, how to lead with empathy, how to connect with each other, how to create psychologically safe spaces where we can have difficult conversations and understand each other empathetically to move forward together in unity as one team, as one organization. So some are definitely doing it. Some, uh, I think, think they're doing it. <laughs> you know you can't do it what what can you really do in like two hours or 90 minutes like teach teach us empathy in 90 minutes and you walk out like yeah i really got it as you close your computer in this reality and go back to kids melting down or i don't know anything outside your front door that you can or cannot go to at any given time you know it's it's got to be an ongoing process especially if you if there's change that needs to take place because change doesn't happen in 90 minutes it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't happen in one week typically you know that's tenacity and diligence and hard work to put that into place and none of those are light adjectives <laughs> yeah but i mean it's it all sounds like it's about as you were saying before when you choose when you choose to bring a certain energy into the room it has to be a constant choice in every mm -hmm. moment a really present choice to keep working on it and it does require, I think, a lot of bravery, especially on the part of the leaders to be like, yes, this conversation is not ultimately about profit, which is like, in this, in this late capitalist, late stage capitalist society, hard to have conversations that might mean that, you know, the people are feeling more seen and understood, but it might, it might not just be about how many gadgets can you make in an hour, you know? Well, here, all right, so I'll go back to that old adage, people don't quit companies, they quit people, mm, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of truth in that. And this will go back to the, the teams that we've talked about before, the generosity, the, the connection. Like if you create teams that 
are really focusing on supporting each other as opposed to driving individual agenda and sharing individual perspective and are really aligned in what they're doing, you're going to excel. You'll have this elite special forces team that by nature is going to want to excel and that is going to produce more revenue mm -hmm. than a bunch of people just solely guarding their own territory, not sharing information, creating redundant work by not sharing information, not sharing pitfalls that they've fallen into or ways to succeed. You know, it's what you're looking for. That's the best practices, right? You know, you teach me how to do this better and I'll teach you what I learned. And in doing so, now we've both strengthened our skill set, we've strengthened our safety net, and we're working for each other in that generous way. And that's gonna that's gonna increase profits. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's what, so we, um, you know, this podcast is for Zany, which is this uh, basically weekly question generating app to create non-work related conversations amidst, amongst team members so that they get to trust each other more, get to know each other in these different ways. And, and we always say that like, it makes like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts when, when, when everybody is feeling safe to express, safe mm -hmm. to innovate. Um, it's just, it is a conscious mindset shift, I think, for a lot of companies to be like, oh, wait, like, if I have a conversation with this person about her child's birthday party, that might actually not be taking time, precious time away from productivity, it might actually fill up her balloon so that she gets even more yeah. done. Yeah. 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 To be interested is to be interesting, mm. right? That's a Martin DeMott quote. I'll go back to Martin and I'll, go, I'll use it. I'll go to Del Close as well, since we're talking about two of the, yes. the grandfathers of, of this art form, at least modern incarnation of art form, you know, of course not to dismiss Viola Spoling or anybody as we go back in time. Uh, Martin DeMott is to be interested is to be interesting. And Del Close is the worst idea with great support will go much further than the best idea with no support. Mm, yes. So really what you're talking about is investing time in people. That's what you're talking about when you ask somebody like, how's your, how's your kid? How was this birthday party with a seven-year-old on, on Zoom? Or when they have to wear masks, how is he or she dealing with this? How are you dealing with them dealing with this? You know, what you're showing is that you care and people by nature then are going to felt heard and understood and listened to. They're going to feel value from that as well. And then they're going to become, feel like they're valuable. Like you, you I'm important to you. So you're, you become important to me. And then, you know, you get those people who are like seeing that you need work done that will help you succeed. So they work over the weekend without you asking them. Right. Where it becomes you want to, yes, do work for the people that you work with, not just for the, for the work itself. Yeah, like, you're talking about creating intrinsic motivation, right? Mm -hmm. Extrinsic is the bonuses, the money, yes. the sexy vacation time, whatever it might be. Intr int intrinsic motivation is heart and gut. You know, what, is, what are these two things? And that, those will definitely influence the wallet. You know, heart, gut, mind, wallet. Those four things. Uh, <laughs> And they do overlap each other in that Venn diagram. However, really with intrinsic motivation is, do you want to do it? Yeah. Do you need it? You need it. Needs and wants, right? Classic basic improv, needs and wants, needs and wants. You need money. You need a job. Do you want to work for this person? So question. Hmm. This In this brave new world that we're in, because I, hi, yes. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you, I imagine when you started this company, it was all live in person. Is that true? Yes, yes. So at what point did you start segueing into virtual? And did you, like before the pandemic started, were you, were you still doing it sometimes in person or has it all become virtual? We started segueing to virtual 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, the writing was on the wall that uh, the technology was going to start replacing on-site engagements. And though we never thought it would 100% fully <laughs> replace it, um, and never in 100 years thinking like this 
global pandemic was going to be a existent, you know, a reality in any way, let alone a reason to do that. We started focusing on that. And so our creation of the virtual market was not under any stress, any duress. There was no global pandemic. There was no economic stress crisis. There's no civil crisis. There's no emotional turmoil. So we really had a lot of time uh, creating our virtual presence. And we started delivering in, in uh, January 2017. So we're almost at four years now delivering virtually. So we're versed, rehearsed, and very skilled. We have great depth and breadth in uh, content and delivery and talent, you know, comfort with medium. So much so that in 2019, our big initiative was the first ever 100%, 100% online async program in uh, business improv called improvisational communication. And this is like any other like master class. You bought the class, you own the class for life. You go through it, you learn exercises uh, off of me, essentially off of a computer. And then you, and I give you homework assignments, go test it out with a real person now, go, tr go try these techniques. Mm -hmm. So they, though we've been delivering for a while, it was hard 2018, 2000, even 2017, 2019 though, uh, talking to, you know, I've, I'm fortunate that I've adjunct status at a couple great universities, business schools, Duke Fuqua is where we started uh, the first improv program. That's where, you know, I, I always consider that sort of the parent of my company. Mm -hmm. And I had many conversations with them in 2018, 2019 about just, you know, let me in, in, let me talk to some people who were running the virtual space. And those introductions were very hard to get. And only now because of, I think, necessity being the mother invention, they open it up and they're like, oh, you actually know what you're talking about. You know what you're doing. Yeah. And this is, this is uh, by the way, I, I can't credit Duke Fuqua enough. They challenged me over and over and over again. And they stood by me. And that failure that we've talked about before yeah. that has to be part of all this, they stood by me while I failed. And they encouraged me to fail. They encouraged me to grow. They encouraged me to try new things. They encouraged me to do new things. Wow. So they, without them, I, I don't know that you and I would be talking today, possibly, at least with these terms at this company. So our, we're, yeah, we're very comfortable in this space. We're very comfortable in the, the online async space, the virtual synchronous space, and nothing will ever truly replace on-site engagements. Mm -hmm. And so what I've encouraged people to do is don't think about like, my challenge always has been with, with not with vegan food or vegan people to eat vegan, anything, not at all. My sister is, and I've had tons of it in my life. It's specifically something like uh, vegan meat or vegan cheese. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about that, like vegan cheese, okay, I, I'm, I'll take a bite of it. I'll, I'll taste it, always taste it, always. And I think, well, this isn't cheese. It doesn't taste like cheese. I don't feel like cheese. It's not real cheese. It's, you know, it doesn't. And so my brain is comparing it to something that it's not. Right. Then once the, and I don't know if this, I'm, a, I'm going to make a bold assumption. This was a strategic rebranding calling this grass-fed, not grass-fed, uh, plant-based, yes. plant-based food, then all of a sudden the, the brain changes. You're not like, oh, it's, it's not supposed to be cheese. It's plant-based. So right. now I can separate these two things and I can look at this for exactly what it is on its own. And that's where I would say that's what, what we have to start thinking about operating in these mediums, whether it's a, a simple phone call or one of these social mediums like uh, Teams or Blue Jeans or Zoom, whatever it might be, and on-site engagements. They're not the same. Right. You can't look at them as the same. Right. And so when structuring any type of environment, you just have to say, this is the reality in which we have to operate. So this is the opportunity to succeed, right. even though there's some challenges. I think that's such a great uh, metaphor and it makes sense. It's not like, let's compare this Zoom meeting to if we were sitting having coffee at a cafe, like what is cool about this Zoom meeting that you couldn't do at that cafe? What makes this such an exciting medium? And for sure, the ability to gather people simultaneously from around the world in one space, you could not do on site. So it's like, how can we, how can we highlight this as its yeah. own thing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that to me is where we have to, it's an opportunity and what we and frankly have to do because that vaccine is not going to come fast enough. So we're going to be here for half a year, a year, 
you know, depending on what experts are, are saying, because also there's no clinical trials, no real like what's the long-term effect of this. So there has to be some kind of risk assessment in like, do I want to take a drug that will keep me from this virus? Yeah. And at the same time, I don't know the long-term effects of this drug. Yeah, exactly. Because the long-term effects of the virus are, I mean, already we're seeing things that kind of linger yeah. past the symptoms. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's such an interesting psychological and social experiment, this whole thing. And especially with regard to how we connect with people and our empathy, you know, keeping our distance and wearing masks takes away something that was previously there in terms of how, how intimate we could be with people that we see in our daily lives. So yeah. Yeah. Touching people, <laughs> you know, you can't really give somebody a hug right now. The mask one though is the a very interesting one to me. Cause I hear this very often. Like you can't really connect with people when they have a mask on. Like you can, again, you just can't think about it the same way right. because what you have to do is like, in my mind, in that spirit of improv, you know, up on stage, there's chairs and performers. That's it. Unless you get the opportunity. Like I was fortunate with baby wants candy to like work on some sets. Like, right. <laughs> Oh, you're, you're going to, you you can't break down your set for an extra day. Can we come in? You can have the profits. We just want to, you know, do an improvised musical with your set behind us. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> have some fun. Don't donate the money to charity. So everything becomes an offer. Everything becomes a gift. Then if there's nothing on stage other than you yes. and other performers, then it's really like you're looking at the smallest things as the opportunity to understand and discover. And that's the same exact thing with something like masks on, for example, like, okay, so you can't see the facial expression. Can you hear the intonation? Can you hear the cadence? What is the specific word choice? Because I've sat in phone calls, I've sat in, in Zoom calls where one person says to the other person, this was like, uh, I want to say like May, somewhere around the May timeline. And a, a senior level executive with one of her direct reports, um, who was also senior level, um, the direct report says, I don't know if I can do this. And then they're like, well, you, okay, all right, well, just do the job, hangs up. And afterwards, I'm like, did you hear? What that person said? No, what they say? I don't know if I can do this. No, no, that wasn't said. Yeah, actually it was. And there was no mask on. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important just to use what you got to get what you want. You got to use what you got. to, And if what you want is to empathize, connect, then you have to just play within the scene that's been given, right? Play within that, that reality and just do it at the top of your intelligence to the best of your ability and then be super flexible. Super adaptable. That's so interesting what you just said, though, because it's really like if somebody loses like one sense, like their sense of sight or their sense of hearing, naturally the other senses will take over, will become more sharpened. And so I had never thought about mask wearing as a gift to make us better listeners, more acute listeners, if you can't see the mouth, you know? So that's awesome. I also, you know, because I move in some woo woo circles people talking about the idea of when you can't see person's face like is that actually going to sharpen our uh, intuitive capabilities sharpen our psychic capabilities to be able to or take fewer physical clues but be able to understand what the meaning is you, you know what I mean oh yeah I mean all right so gut decision making core decision making intuitive decision making instinctual decision making Improv, 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 improv. Yeah. You know, that's probably not going to surprise you that, oh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about here because that's how I look at those things. And so whether you're going to call it like what we call it in business improv, spidey sense, like what's that little thing? Like what is not registering correctly or what is? Like why, why do you want to go somewhere? And you can't always define it yet to your point. You can heighten the senses around that and also heighten... And I'll go back to what we were talking about before, just giving up control. If you give up that control, then you are able to access this better. You're able to, to understand like something, I, I just gave up all the control and something inside of me is saying, follow that person, don't follow that person. Right, and there's no, there's no, necessary, there's no necessary logic behind it. It's just, you know, a gut instinct will, will show up faster than like your mental thought process. And yeah. I think that as a society, we really overvalue the thinking part of it. 
but which is great. Like the great, the brain is a great tool, but there are other tools at our disposal in our bodies that we will override sometimes because we can't like list the bullet points of why that makes sense. And that was something else that I thought I learned doing improv that I think is so important is that you might have more knowledge than you think you do. So if you have, if you have a hit to go cross over to stage left, do it, you know, like to, to train yourself to follow that hit rather than to think about it for a while and wait for the moment to pass. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is not to dismiss strategic decision-making. Right. Of course. At all. At all. Especially if we're talking about leaders or people who are driven and like want a path in their career. It's to say you have to create this space and time in which you just let your gut work. You just, and, and quite often in business and probably call this your natural intelligence, close your dictionary, close your thesaurus, get the hamster that powers your brain off the wheel. You're not going to die. <laughs> you won't, you know, there's enough residual movement in that wheel that you will stay upright and breathing. And that's really what, that's what you need to do. Stay breathing. Okay. And your body will take over. So just give everything the day off and just use your gut, use your intuition, start focusing on, on that because then you'll see that you're making movements that are based in the reality that you might not even logically comprehend why you made that movement. And then making that movement, you go back to supporting what somebody else said. You go back to buttressing an idea that wasn't your own or getting somebody's back that, you know, in a proverbial trust fall type of way of like that person was dangling out on uh, his or her own and you step forward and, and supported that person and in doing so, that idea still sucked. And two ideas later came, the best idea came out of her or his mouth because she or he felt so supported by you two or three ideas ago. Right. And I'm glad. You know, and that's your gut. That's, I mean, that's just you yeah. just saying, like, I got to do this. I have to step forward. Don't edit yourself. You know, there's a time to edit. There's a definitely a time to edit. There, you need it. You know, you mentioned I wrote a book. I can't write gobbledygook. <laughs> like, nobody wants to read 600 word sentences that don't make some manifesto. Like you clean that up. And that means you, you, you brain dump in one section, just get it out of your head and don't worry about spell check. Don't worry about sentence structure. You know, that's how you write songs. That's how you write plays. This is right yet. How you write movies. This is how you write poems. This is how you write books and proposals and <laughs> problems dealing with clients, dump it all out in one section, divergent thinking, move over to the convergent side, clean it, edit it, sort it, fine tune it. And then maybe, all right, now you got a draft. So you move it back over in the diversion side and clean up that draft a little bit. Maybe some new information comes out because you're postponing judgment, which we haven't mentioned yet. You know, such a key part of improvisation, performing judgment. Then you move back over in the conference to clean up. So you need both sides. You need to be able to operate strategically and analytically and more what I would put, I'm putting air quotes around logically because there's a lot of logic and intuitive decision-making. You also need that space though, that you're fearless and you're bold and you're not afraid to fail. Yeah. I mean, I think that I totally, I totally agree as a writer. Also, you need to set parameters for when it's a, a psychologically safe space to be in your right brain, just be the creative, not have the inner critic jump on board. There will be time and space for the inner critic, but to, to create that sort of bubble where it's safe to be fearless, where it's safe to walk off the cliff, you know, mm -hmm. is what's so great about, about improv. And then trusting that when you do walk off the cliff, it will actually unlock something inside of you and make more space inside of you so that the, the strategizing becomes clearer and, and easier and more streamlined. Yeah, absolutely. And if you are, if you have set that environment to correctly, the team, the culture, the people around you, you when you walk off the cliff, there's going to be people underneath you who are going to get you to soar, get you to fly. And you, that means you have to be the one that walks off the cliff, you know, and you can do all this on an individual basis too. So stepping away from the team, like, you know, writing quite often is a solo project that you take on. I mean, even if you're writing in teams, you might move that further down the road a couple pages into it like i had this idea i just it was two o'clock in the morning i just needed to get it out it was fresh i'll throw it back over to you you just kind of create that space where you're you know metaphorically walking off that cliff and being like it's a draft who cares it doesn't need to be perfect right now yeah what i need is like to get this idea that's just like chewing on my brain out of my head so that i can do something with it that might mean work it out 
and it might mean you know create something great of it it might mean throw it away because it's just occupying my brain too much yeah exactly exactly just get it out just like dump the first draft out there um, yeah and, and then you can be surprised you know then you can find surprises yeah um, if you don't get the first draft out of the way you're not going to get the second draft <laughs> no exactly exactly well this this has been amazing i i want to sort of wind down by asking you i, I usually ask my guests uh one of the questions that is part of the zany app uh, on the fly. So the one that I chose for you, Bob, is uh, <laughs> what does heaven smell like to you? An improv stage. Mm, what An improv that? theater. Sweat. Beer. Failure. If you could smell laughter. You know, other performers. Just that like stink. <laughs> I, bring my, I want to bring my kids with me there though all right so it'll smell like my my kids heads too <laughs> oh, how many kids do you have i got two i have a four-year-old and a, a seven-year-old both who had those birthdays that i was referencing before amazing how are they yeah. how are they faring during this pandemic touch wood overall okay you know we've created a uh i've been calling it a life is beautiful type of bubble of like everything's okay you guys don't worry about a thing. And then I, I, I go to work and lose hair by, by the clumps. And, and yep. you know, we try to try to maintain sanity and Groundhog's Day of, of closed houses. And then, um, you know, stay focused on the positive. So if they're happy, then everything's okay for now. So, you know, well, one day at a time. If you were my dad, I would feel like everything was going to be okay. Hey, I'll, I'll take it, Lisa. Bob, where, where can people find you and find more about your business? Uh, business Improv, businessimprov.com. Um, find Bob Callahan on LinkedIn. Uh, improvisational communication. If anybody out there is like, I want to learn this and I can't be with a group right now, uh, we're taking the improvisational communication, which is on Teachable course. You could do this on your own and just get good at just these techniques. And uh, we're also finding communities for people to practice through that as well. So other people who are going through this on an individual basis, once you get comfortable with this, these techniques, get with other people who are getting comfortable with them and come together using them. So yeah, come, come to businessimprov.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I could use a drop-in for sure. <laughs> we we uh we shot improvisational communication at Teachable. Uh, excuse me, it's on Teachable. We shot at Mashable Studios. Cool. So yeah, it's cool. It's 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 high end. So it's all right. Amazing. Well, Bob Colhan, thank you so much for your time and wisdom. Lisa, thank you, thank you. It's been great chatting with you, and um, I hope to chat with you again. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks to us all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to episode 18 of What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. To learn more about Bob and to get the inside scoop on business improv, please visit businessimprov.com. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at zanie.app. Human Everything else after Q-Men first Everything else after